Hello. And welcome to the Tony Awards. Tony with an I. The podcast where we go through the entire filmography of Tony Collette. I'm Sam. I'm Jake. And joining us today, we have two very special guests, Mr. Bo Baloo. Hello. And Mr. Colin Rankin. Hey. And today we are talking about I'm Thinking of Ending Things, based on the novel by Ian Reid, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, about a woman with an avoidant attachment style who goes to meet her boyfriend's parents. So I tried to read the novel before watching the movie. I got about halfway through it, and then I had to put it down because it was so, so scary. And then I found that the movie wasn't scary at all. I don't know if either of you guys had a similar uh, I, I was. Experience. You texted me this, and I wanted to know why what was scary about it the book yeah yeah i'm having the exact same curiosity right now because i didn't try to read the book no i i didn't read the book either but i thought the movie was pretty scary my roommate and i were like this is like a 75 percent of a horror movie so i was kind of scared what was scary about the book sam well i feel like okay so in the book it's told from the perspective of the woman who of the young woman who isn't really given an official name in the movie or the book. In the movie, she's called like Lucy, Louisa, uh, Lucia, and Amy at one point. In the book, I don't think she has a name at all. And she keeps getting these like voicemails from this random voice that just keeps repeating the same uh, thing that that like old janitor is Mm -hmm. saying. Uh, And she's really freaked out about that. And then she goes to visit her boyfriend's house. And in the farm, in in the barn, rather, she spends a lot of time, like, fixating on these, like, animal corpses that are hanging up. And she's really bothered by those. And then I don't remember exactly what it was about the book that scared me. It wasn't even anything, like, plot-wise, because I put it down, like, while they were still at... Uh, the guy's parents' house, but it just, oh, you know what it is? In between every chapter, there's a little mini thing that's like conversation between two strangers talking about what I thought was like a brutal murder that had happened. And it's like, yeah, like who could have possibly done that? I heard that he had 18 stab wounds. That's crazy. And then at the end, it turns out that uh, the janitor in the movie is actually just Jake, the main character, and he isn't like a scientist and he hasn't had this good life and this good girlfriend. He actually just uh, dropped out of college, became a janitor at the local high school and then killed himself because he realized that he would never find love. And in the movie, I don't know if we Um, know what happens. I, I was wondering how the book was like written as far as um, like, is it is it very scattered and weird and like mosaicish like the movie or is it just I just want everyone to know I'm a bad podcast host and I did not do any research on this uh, movie after I watched it um, because it didn't make any sense to me and I thought we'd get into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of to be honest, a lot of the themes and the symbols that were present in the book weren't present in the movie. Uh, Charlie Kaufman kind of comes up with his own stuff to include. Like Oklahoma isn't in the book at all. Uh, so I'd kind of rather talk about that, especially given that the movie is something that I finished. So what did I, what did you guys think happened at the end? I know that, Bo, it looks like you wanted to say something earlier. Kind of how I interpreted the movie. This is my second time seeing it. So I did a lot of reading on it last time and also this time. So a lot of my interpretation is informed by what people who are smarter than me told me 
um, kind of how it works. So uh, my interpretation is that everything you kind of said happens in the book. Like she's kind of a fantasy girlfriend. He's a janitor. Like the the janitor is the boyfriend, right? That's yeah. kind of... And I, that's how I interpret the movie too. And everything's kind of like this fantastical last moments before suicide at the end of the movie with all the Oklahoma stuff and all that kind of stuff. Cause the car at the end, I thought that he, instead of stabbing himself, like just got hypothermia and froze to death and the car covered in snow. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say like that's that's like one of the one places where the book does diverge pretty hard from the movie from what I because I I also just read about it I didn't read the book but um my yeah my interpretation was he just dies and doesn't intentionally kill himself um but I did I did read that there was a very brutal like white like doesn't he like stab himself with a with like a the antenna from his car or something like it's pretty gruesome yeah, I have no idea, honestly. One of these days I might finish the book. I don't know, do you guys, I feel like I personally struggle with these sort of dreamscape type of movies where it's more about the emotional truth rather than uh, a plot happening. Do you guys, what's your experience with those kinds of movies? Um, I, I'm a big fan of like weird abstract kind of stuff, you know? So like, it, like I love like a movie where you're watching, you're like, what the hell is happening? You know? And you have to like really kind of process it. And it doesn't kind of give you everything like while it's happening, doesn't really hold your hand, which Charlie Kaufman movies are kind of notorious for. So in this sense, I, I really thought that was effective here. Yeah, I'm the exact same kind of way. I'm like, I'm very much the like archetype of the annoying dude who likes David Lynch and like will tell you about a bunch of trippy David Lynch stuff. Um, so like, and I find, I don't know, I find these movies like fun and also frustrating because I'm I'm not the person who wrote the articles that I then as the viewer went and watched as soon as the movie was done. Like I always, I like being uh, misguided and like intentionally confused, but I'm not sharp enough to like actually catch everything as it's happening. Um, and but I keep watching these movies because I'm like maybe if I watch enough of them, I'll get to that point where I can like figure figure one of them out. Yeah, for me, I I don't know what it says about me that I probably would have liked this more in high school. Um, <laughs> I just feel like back then I kind of I don't know I used to like more experimental things that like had to didn't hold my hand but at the same like now I'm like I feel like I don't have the patience for it and maybe it was just the way it was like I also used to watch way more theater and this felt like I was watching a very weird experimental play for a while and for me right now in my space and where I am in life now I'm like um not that it's bad or I did like it but it was just me being like I really I really cannot handle this I really don't know what's going on it makes no sense to me um Sam, it reminded me of that show we saw, which I forget the name of it, but y- you, um, it's the one where they kept repeating everything. Um, Real Magic. Real Magic, yes. Yes. I'm sh- actually, have we talked about it on the podcast before? I think so. It's just like these these three actors kept repeating the same like eight to 10 dialogue scene, like again and again over the course of like. Like an hour, like an hour or to 90 hour. minutes, I feel like. Yeah, 90 minutes it was longer than that it was like a two it was like a five minute scene that they repeated about it was like it was like four times. actors stuck in like an internal game show and they kept switching who was yeah. the host and who were the contestants 
And it gave everybody in our experimental theater class a panic attack and all of them hated it. But oh I, my God. I feel like with experimental things and, and with these sort of abstract things, you either really lock into what the creator is trying to yeah. tell you or you don't. And for me, I felt like I'm I thinking was of ending of... experimental things. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I def I feel like there's a threshold for me where uh, if it's past that threshold of, of like too experimental where I can't, I wouldn't say that I even like locked into what this was trying to tell me necessarily, but I was, I felt close enough. I was like, they're dropping clues like every five seconds that yeah. something weird is happening. I just need to figure out what it is. And so like, if it's something like that, where it's, I don't know, but I feel like I can maybe figure out if I keep watching, that's like my sweet spot. But then there's stuff like what you just described, like that would drive me insane. Yeah, I took like, I took like experimental film classes in college and they would show us like movies of like, of like moths like being splattered and then like them drawing on the film reels and stuff. And they're like, how profound was that? And I was like, <laughs> uh, not at all, honestly. So maybe my like, uh, that's the standard of like what's weird to me now. So when I watch something like this, I'm like, oh, that's yeah, kind of straightforward. You know what I mean? Like, I don't but know, listen, but I like really, but that being said, like I'm not against this movie. I did enjoy large portions of it, particularly like Tony Flat sequence and like the Dairy Queen thing. Um, I, I did enjoy parts. I think for me, it was just like, um, I think this is the type of movie where it's like the guy that Charlie Kaufman is like, you want the the creator wants you to have a reaction, period, good or bad. They don't really care. They want there to be a reaction. And I feel like that was what it felt like. And I, I think the job was accomplished. I remember reading about this movie when it came out as potential like Oscar. I mean, obviously any movie that came out that wasn't like, well, that came out period last year, people talked about for Oscars. So I was like, oh, Tony. And like, Tony is very overdue for an Oscar moment at this point. Like she's so good in this, like, like regardless of regardless of what you think about the rest of the movie, I feel like the performances, specifically hers and David Thewlis were like, come on, they're doing, it was fun. They made it fun, even if you, you weren't having fun. You did tell me though, yesterday, you texted me saying that you thought the lead actress uh, was in her third year of a BFA acting program, yes. which I thought was very mean. And she was, she, well, I didn't like her at all. Whoa, I sorry. liked her. Whoa, oh, I was so, I thought she was incredible. I adored her. There's your hot take right there. I, it was my <laughs> hot take. I think that was probably a part, of, a part of the reason why the movie didn't really sit with me is because she annoyed the fuck out of me. And I Whoa. don't know why, and it's not her fault, but I truly, and it was it was not her acting, it was her dialogue. Like, she spoke so much for me. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's normally the kind of performance where I feel like the face should say more. You heard it here, folks. Jake Everhart hates it when women talk too much. And I hate Jesse. I guess Jesse Buckley, like, and you know what I just saw on Wikipedia is that Brie Larson was originally supposed to play that role. I, and they would have had a reunion and I would have liked that way more. And I wouldn't have hated her. Sorry. I think of them as such different actresses also. Yeah. Like, I will like, say, I saw that Brie Larson thing um, today as well. And I was like, oh, I think it's so much better with the girl who's in it than it would have been with Brie Larson. Yeah. Me too. I do You're think fine. that Brie Larson you know can what? do no. anything. Totally. I'm yeah, going to keep my hot take. I hope that 
I don't, I'm not a misogynist, but I just thought her performance was grating and I didn't like it. I found Everyone myself, else I liked. I found myself getting very annoyed by the character of Jake near the end because I that's feel like my name. I, I get so uh, locked into the given circumstances of whatever a movie is that I think sometimes I miss what it's trying to tell me. Like when she's begging him to just get back on the highway and take them home, I was like, he should take her home, not realizing <laughs> that him not listening to her was exactly the point. Yeah, that that part of the movie is brutal where they're driving with the with the burrs and he's just like, we have to go down this road. And you're like, stop. Like, yeah, what's going to happen. This is so tense. Yeah, it's it's so I mean, it's uncomfortable for the entire like movie. Like the whole movie is is just uncomfortable is the the word that like i i don't yeah. think i could use another word to describe mm -hmm. it as accurately and and yeah at that point it just gets worse and worse and worse. like because there's the conversation like the dialogue feels disconnected and weird and that's a point where it just gets more and more like like they're just on two different things like he's not even like you said he's like just not listening to her and that's the whole point yeah, there's like there's like one part when she's like kind of meandering through time at the house where David Thewlis has like Alzheimer's or something. And then he goes up to her and he says something like, I'm confused. And you're like, oh, OK, he's speaking for us. Like, we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, we're not the only ones. That's great. Yeah, it's so disorienting. And then later on, when he tells them not to fuck, I was like, I don't want them to fuck either. Yeah, no that way. Fucking and whatnot. Fucking and whatnot, uh, you're not got fucking on that twin bed. I, I feel like he wants them to fuck more than anyone else, though. He's like, don't worry, you guys can fuck. And, like, no one else but him is thinking that. He goes on this whole, he's like, I'm losing my memories, and then he can't finish a sentence. And then he goes on this very long, uninterrupted tangent about how Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons might try to fuck on this wind bed, but it doesn't look like the bed's going to be able to fit the both of them on it, which I thought was great. He was faking um, Alzheimer's to sexually harass his was, son's girlfriend. I really liked, I really loved the the parents like switching ages every time you saw them. Like when we first see David Thewlis, he has white hair. And then like two seconds later at the dinner, he has brown hair. And I didn't rewind it, but I was like, oh, that's weird. I guess maybe I... Imagine that, and then like he kept aging rapidly in and out, and then Tony briefly appears as Alice from United States of Terra for thirty <laughs> seconds. I liked and, them. And yeah, it was fun. I yeah. I liked them going forward I liked the in old time. Age makeup. I liked them going forward in time, but once yeah. uh, Tony Collette became much younger, I was thrown off. I was like, "What's happening here?" I didn't <laughs> like the break in the off? pattern. Ever. <laughs> I didn't like when there was like a green goop on the nightgown. I was so worried. Oh, about and that. she touches it, and then, oh uh, yeah, that was gross. yeah, that that was nasty. <laughs> um, the dinner scene was probably my favorite though. Just the oh, first yeah. dinner scene and talking. It reminded me of um, my my parents. I'm just kidding. No, because my name's Jake. That's it. That's the end of the comparisons. Tony was just her little like tinnitus quirks and like her. I don't know. It was her maniacal what, laughter. Yeah. Like whenever a cute couple. Whenever Jake would like get mad at her and she would like look down and like kind of smile like she's trying to like brush <laughs> yeah. it off. It's like, oh man. That. I actually filmed I filmed a few scenes. I filmed a few a few um seconds from that to keep for later. So I guess I did enjoy it. Some Tony moments for there. But um Yeah, I didn't yeah. read I don't know where I was going with 
I didn't read a review, but I read an excerpt of a review on the Wikipedia page that said that even though the abstract parts of the film are unclear and that that can be kind of frustrating, uh, it's sort of redeemed by the genuine human-to-human interactions that happen, which I thought was very clear, especially in the dinner scene. There's all these sorts of false starts and stops that yeah. are nothing short of nightmarish to me, where it kind of seems like Jesse Buckley is about to develop a rapport with the parents, and then one of them asks her a question that is so strange that you know she just can't respond, and it just gets so much more awkward, which I really appreciated. That was That's me before and after the pandemic. Watching this movie a year ago would have had me feeling different than it would today, I'm sure. It was just a very look inside of everyone's minds at this moment. (laughs) That's how I feel. I liked how she, um, how they kept giving her different careers and college majors and everything every five minutes. Like, oh, you're a poet. Oh, you're a physicist. Oh, you're a gerontologist. And she was like, yes, I am. Yeah, it was interesting to see the like, because I feel like, so the, the sequence you guys were talking about before where they're like going back and forward through time, like the parents are aging all around, like that's where like if you didn't catch the stuff earlier in the dinner scene about her career changing and like her name changing around and stuff, like that's kind of where the movie just starts like beating you over the head with it, where it's like, yeah, this isn't a linear story. Like we don't really know if this even is a character. Right. I was because this was my second time watching it as well. And I watched it with my roommate the first time. And like, I think it was like halfway through that dinner scene that we started noticing that stuff. Like, if you notice also like her clothing changes, like her shirt color changes and like, she'll be like wearing a necklace in one shot and then not in another. And like, I feel like that's when we started to like catch it. And then, yeah. And then it's like that it kind of like ramps up after that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Like, cause, cause it's like that, that Jake character, you can tell he's like, so like, obviously they talk about how lonely of a person he is kind of throughout it. And then like you get glimpses at like, Oh, he's so consumed by like books and movies and stuff. And then like, and then that kind of shifts the fantasy of, the girl character where it's like okay now we see the old man watching a romantic comedy about a waitress and then the next time they talk about the girl's work it's like oh now she's a waitress you're like oh okay everything's just kind of blending and becoming so confused and you're still especially if you hadn't read anything or saw the end you're like wait what 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 the hell (laughs) i liked that scene i liked the like because this is like early before we even know what the janitor thing means Mm -hmm. and like he's just sitting in a classroom watching a movie that we see as well on the screen easter egg i actually know the person who uh plays the manager of the diner he was my acting teacher um but that was funny <laughs> to see him just pop up but um anyway hey, I was just so, he he taught my film class last oh. year he took my headshots <laughs> he was like That's one line great. he's great I'm like scene. awesome he's like yeah, you're fired one line. Yeah. <laughs> very talented <laughs> um but uh no yeah not your acting teacher sam sorry uh post-college acting teacher i did continue um trying to find a career in it <laughs> to no avail um but no yeah i uh, i just thought that was cool and then later the waitress in that scene shows up in the car when they're driving like replacing jesse buckley for like two seconds i want to ask you guys a question i'm confused a little bit on the point of view of the movie because it does seem like um 
it's from her point of view, but then it kind of switches to his. And I'm not sure if they were supposed to be, is she supposed to represent like all the girlfriends he's ever had? Or is he, she's supposed to just be like an extension of him or. My understanding of it is, is that she is both like an amalgam of maybe people that he like has dated. So like a bunch of different real people. And then also like the potential of like people who he never talked to. So like, at the end where, so right. like where one of her meeting stories is like, Oh, we, uh, he asked for my number at a trivia night or whatever. And like at the end, she, when she's talking to like older janitor, Jake, she's like, I never talked to him. Nothing happened. He was just like a creepy guy who was staring at me at a bar one time. And so like it get that, that I felt like gives you an indication that he's also imagining just like relationships that never happened. And then part of that is that like he, as a person is so steeped in like media and not that well socialized that like, he's just kind of imagining these tropes as presented through like books and movies and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought it was almost like an inception type thing where it's like a perspective within a perspective. So it's like, it's her perspective, but she's like an imaginary character that he's created. So it's like his perspective and then he loses control and then she kind of, shifts perspective to him when they talk when he's an old man like formally yes i (laughs) makes sense (laughs) i liked the poem that she read one device Mm -hmm. that i liked in this movie uh that i didn't even realize was a device to the extent that it was until after uh was she recites this poem in the car at the beginning of the movie that she says she has written And then later on, she goes into his room and finds that exact poem in like a book of poetry. And it's already been written verbatim by somebody else. And then it turns out that all of her paintings have already been painted by somebody else. And then when she's in the car, she delivers this big, long monologue about how much she hates the movie uh, Woman Under the Influence. And that's just lifted word for word from a review that was written by Pauline Kael when... It was originally released. Oh, and there, there's a Pauline Kael book on the shelf. Yeah. And that's supposedly that's like a really good Pauline Kael impression as well. Mm-hmm. Like she not only she is, was is doing quoting the, the review, but she like assumes that character for a couple minutes. Yeah, she was doing like a voice that I really liked. It felt very BFA yeah, I, to me. I responded to that scene. Very BFA. Um, I really enjoyed the scenes, those like banter scenes in the car. Like there was a lot of time spent in the car. I liked the musical one, which we talked about earlier. Like he just starts listing. He's like, I don't really know musicals except for. And then he lists Oklahoma, like 20 musicals. Little Job of Horrors, Wicked, whatever. Like, like I can't even list that many. And I, I mean, I could. He listed musicals that I personally have never heard of. Oh, Flower Drum Song? No, there was something else. Like <laughs> My Cousin Penny or something. My Cousin Venny. I feel like we're a little, I'm a little, I personally am a little all over the place with this movie, but I feel like the movie's a little all over the place. That's very fitting for the movie, yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, it's just like, it's so visual. I think stuff, maybe I should have watched it like yesterday and then like had absorbed it more because I watched half of it yesterday, half of it today. And like, and just like, it's just like, it's several pieces in my mind. It's so strange. I can't imagine seeing it in movie theaters. That's what I'm curious. I'm curious about like how, Sam, how you thought the writing translated like mm-hmm. or compared to the on-screen because I also like obviously didn't read the book did see the movie now twice and like I 
it's hard for me to imagine like experiencing that story in the same way in any medium that isn't on screen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the movie ends up utilizing uh, my least favorite thing, which is voiceover narration, because so much of the book is just the character's internal monologue. And she seems very like almost frantic all the time. And she keeps going over these the memories that she has of her boyfriend uh, at the current moment. And, you know, they've only been going out for like a month. So it's like one time we had just slept together and then he said that I was therapeutic. Uh, and it's just sort of little things like that. And in the book, it honestly seemed like they should stay together and that she was just freaking out over nothing because she kept being like, I really like him. I really like him. I'm just worried about something. Just something doesn't feel right which um, is kind of bullshit in my opinion. But uh, then in the movie, they're very like sort of cold to each other. Stiff. They're very yeah, stiff. They're very like... stiff. And in, and in the book, they're both contributing an equal amount to the conversation, especially in the beginning. And they have a lot more of like a back and forth. And to me in the book, it seemed like they both thought that each other had good opinions uh and they mm. weren't like really disagreeing with each other so much as just adding on to whatever the other person had said but i do when it comes to adaptations like this i i like it when adaptations diverge from the source material because it is like its own thing and i do think that an adaptation should be able to stand on its own as something other than wish fulfillment for people who liked the book so i think that uh it did for the story that i think charlie kaufman was trying to tell uh, i thought that that was a good choice yeah it was very much a movie and not a book like i, I love that it, he put his own spin on it i'm not that familiar with charlie kaufman but i know that he's made a lot of very specific like otary type things if i'm correct what did he do what else did he do he did Edited eternal oh. sunshine right Eternal Sunshine adaptation. Okay, makes sense. John Malkovich is kind of the other. Mm -hmm. I really want to watch adaptation. It's oh my god, <laughs> that movie's so good. It's been on my list for a while, but I my brain has been so like fragile lately that I don't want to put something on that I would like and then uh, end up not liking it because I can't <laughs> keep my attention for more than twenty minutes. It's uh. Um, it bananas but it's a much more digestible movie than this one i feel like more digestible banana yes a, a riper banana i guess <laughs> yeah that's how I, that is partially how i felt about this movie jake in a in a similar way where i was like i because i had already seen it i really liked it the first time mm. that i watched it and i just have not been able to get myself back in the same headspace to rewatch this movie until <laughs> today um because I was just like, it's such a That's weird what, I place feel like, to go when you watch it. Yeah. We always, Sam and I are, are always like, the, the day comes around no matter what it is that we got to watch, we got to watch it. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, <laughs> mood be damned. We'll get into whatever we're watching and see how we feel about it. I'm sure so, Hereditary was a fun one to do then. We had to... <laughs> I it had was fucking horrible. I had watched that. Promising Young Woman the day we before. We were texting each other throughout. It was it. I I was having an experience that yeah. I I kind of feel like I expected uh, this movie to be a little bit more like hereditary in the sense that Same. this movie was like 
a bunch of creeping dread and everything sort of like built onto the dread. And then there was never, I thought, like a climax with it or a moment of catharsis where yeah. like the scary thing that you've been waiting for happens. Uh, whereas with Hereditary, Close. it all sort of culminates in this huge, like Satan takes over the house thing and people are getting decapitated, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I really wanted this to scare the fucking shit out of me. Yeah, and, it, and it didn't. And by the end, it just sort of annoyed me. Well, the I way like... that, yeah, the way that, yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. Well, I feel like the big scary thing did happen, but rather it's like if Hereditary ended with an interpretive dance of the ending of Hereditary. So it could <laughs> happen. It just happened as if it was uh, a stage play yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is such an interesting... I really thought the movie was just going to end with that dance after a while, because it's like these two people dressed as the main characters come out, and then they start doing a ballet, and then a janitor ballet dancer comes out and kills the jake lookalike and but then after that i i would argue that the scariest part of the movie for me at least was when he started seeing the like dairy the the tulsi town which is the dairy queen in the movie black and white animated thing in his car window like definitely one of the most upsetting moments of the movie that was upsetting and it was just like because you don't know where it's going after that and then he like this naked old man follows an animated pig that's bleeding out into the school. And then we see Jesse Plemons performing. It's um, like a monologue from a beautiful mind. And then he sings a song from Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and w- in front of a stage set of his like home. Yeah. He a- like, he like reenacts a scene from a, be- there's a scene in a beautiful mind where a guy is giving a speech to uh, to an auditorium of people, which I read about online since I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I just, um, I did love that everyone in the room, including him and the entire cast has like high school old age makeup on. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. That like was cool. that was fun. I've worn that makeup before. Um, <laughs> that was great. And did it end after that? It cut from that to the car outside, correct? So yeah, that was the last yeah. scene. Like it does a blue fade and then the mm-hmm. car kind of comes. I mean, I love throwing a little song into a movie. Um, yeah, I, just, I did find so strange. I did find the ending to be like, not like disappointing, but it's similar to what you said, Sam, where I was like, I was, I was maybe expecting more of like a, more of like a bang. And it kind of was just in, instead like an insane left turn and then three more. Um, yeah. But like not in a way that was like, that uncomfortable it just got confusing um and like yeah I, I've there was read no a, catharsis there right and like i've i have read enough articles about it now to like understand what the intention of all of those sequences was but i guess i was like i was like i was like it, this feels a little bit indulgent with the like first the dance and then the like remake of the a beautiful mind speech and then an oklahoma musical number and then this like weird cartoon sequence thrown in i was like it's yeah. like it is like the rest of the movie feels so cohesive. Like it's like, it is the same kind of uncomfortable for the whole time, you know? And then it just, and then it's just like so shockingly different at the end. It kind of feels like this movie was deliberately created to confuse me specifically because (laughs) I haven't seen a single thing that's referenced in this. I've never seen 
like a woman under the influence. I've never seen a beautiful mind. I've never seen Oklahoma. Every I've never been to Dairy Queen. So when the Dairy Queen girl turned their ice oh. creams upside down, I was like, why is she pouring it know? out? I didn't. You've never been to Dairy Queen? Oh, no. you're from New York. Yeah, my town That's had cool. like a no franchise law. So the closest uh, fast food or chain was like 15, 20 minutes away. Which is why you love fast food in college. Exactly. Oh, because you know, like catch me at McDonald's at 1 Mm a.m. every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember in my senior year of high school. Oh, go. I was just going to say, like, I did feel like a lot of the references were sort of not from our era. Yeah, I kept being like, okay, boomer. (laughs) How surprising is it that I'm not able to relate to 61-year-old Charlie Kaufman? You know what? You need to work (laughs) on that. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like this movie is kind of guilty of like the, like the, have you guys ever seen like the before trilogy, like those movies? Oh, that's uh, Mm -hmm. Linklater, right? Yeah, Linklater. Because I love Boyhood, but I never checked, I never watched those, but I heard that they were good. They're very good, but it kind of has the same thing where it's like, a bunch of people like two people walking and talking being like have you ever read this book there's this great quote and you're like i've never heard of that book where it's like just kind of almost a flex of how much you've read or watched and this movie kind of does that as well but i mean it is like a charlie kaufman movie i you kind of i kind of expect it to be self-indulgent in ways and that's just like a thing i feel like i accept from a, one of his movies yeah yeah. yeah, I made a note about that too. I feel like it's one of those movies or, and it's also with plays and, and just like when someone is a creator, you know them, you're getting into it. But at the same time, I do kind of have a problem with stuff where every single character talks the same way. Mm-hmm. And- Which I like, love. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I like it, but I struggle with it as a, as a writer or like whenever I've written something to make sure people sound differently. I mean, I'm not writing like stuff like this that is like extremely out of realism, but I just feel like, I don't know. To a certain extent, it's up to the actor to make it sound different, but it's just like, when every single person is like, here's 18 references about this thing you don't know about. It just, it feels like a way to fill pages more so than like a actual yeah, the gag here is that I uh, I didn't like this movie, but I love Gilmore Girls. So I guess it really just depends on what kind of cultural references there but are. But do you love Maisel? I like it. Uh, I don't yeah, love it. But... I also think that the, the word uh, self-indulgent, I think that Charlie Kaufman is being self-indulgent, but also... I mean, his movies have like a huge following, so he's probably also indulging in his audiences. Uh, Acolytes. Yeah, the stuff that they Fans. like. Like it. Like clearly, it's not just working for him. It's just if... a big feedback loop. Yeah. I know. I would argue that it is just working for him because <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I'm not impressed. So was it not in the book? Was he making as many like literary references and film references and stuff? No, they're uh, they talk a lot about like mm. science in the book, or it they talk a lot about like philosophy. Well, I guess that's that's kind of almost because this is like Charlie Kaufman's adaptation, and he's like, What do I know as much about as these people who <laughs> knew about science in the book? And it's like film and books, so it's like, Okay, so he's kind of just replacing it. Like, I mean, she's a physicist or whatever at the beginning of the movie, and then by the end she's not so i guess there is still that 
element. They do talk about science a little bit, but I guess it's just kind of a substitute. Yeah. I don't That's know. a good point. I mean, I'm glad that they talked about pop cultural stuff instead of science. Let's be fair. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> they do a little bit of science, though, and like a little bit of poetry and a little bit of like philosophy. Like, I feel like it is kind of, I don't know, he's, his character is very much like trying to be a Renaissance man type person mm-hmm. or like think of himself as one. What does it mean, though, that is it classist at the end of the day that we, are saying janitors should kill themselves? Is that what the point of the movie is? I don't think so. I janitors who love Oklahoma should kill themselves is what I think. Janitors who have aspirations above their place in society. (laughs) (laughs) Stay put. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that it just is saying that virgins should kill themselves. (laughs) Even more regressive. It's like you can't- you can't get laid. Fucking take yourself out of the game, dude. After after sixty years, mm-hmm. mull it over and then and then do it. Yeah. Okay, I just checked the Wikipedia. I really thought the janitor was played by Jesse Plemons in like old age makeup. They do a little for a minute. They look a little bit alike, yeah. And he looks uh, a little bit like um, I think the actor who plays his dad, who I'm now blanking on his name. Oh, David Thewlis. Yeah. He looks a little, just... like the janitor looks a little bit like David Thewlis in the scenes where he's supposed to be really old. I was just uh, calling mm. him Lupin the entire time. As soon as I realized that it was Professor Lupin from Harry Potter, I got so excited. Never realized yeah. that. That's, <laughs> that's Lupin. It would have been really cool if they just dropped a Harry Potter reference in among all the like really high-minded literary stuff. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. I do think I mean... that. If I related to anybody in this movie, it was probably Professor Lupin when he is uh, talking shit about abstract art to Jesse Buckley. And he's like, and they're like, well, you're clearly stupid. I was like, that's me. I'm just a a dumb girl watching Rock of Love. (laughs) (laughs) I did love that bit where he's talking to her about abstract art and she's talking about how it's supposed to make you feel and she's like imagine yourself there and he's like well I could see myself if I was there I could look down she's like don't look down (laughs) (laughs) yeah her her character is very uh makes a very valiant effort to engage him in that conversation even though he's just like shit talking her entire body of work yeah she goes so much farther than I ever would I feel like if I was in that situation, if I was an abstract artist and my boyfriend's dad was talking shit about abstract art, I, I'd, I'd go back to being a waitress. I would just make up a new career to have. It's hard out here for abstract artists. Be like, oh, is. I'm an assassin. I'm a, a tobacco lobbyist. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever is better. Which of those is worse? Tobacco lobbyist. Tobacco lobbyist. No. Wait, are you lobbying on Depends behalf on of tobacco or against? Probably. On behalf um, of tobacco. On behalf. I'm okay with tobacco. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot of this. Apparently that uh, I, I read. Should... Oh, go. I was just going to say, I think we should bring assassins back to um, more mainstream. Uh, ignore me. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something to say. Bring and then you were like, what? Murder. 
Apparently the dinner scene was filmed like a BFA acting exercise where they would do a take and they'd be like, during this take, everybody get along and be nice to each other. And then they would do another take where they were like, no, during this take, everybody be mean to each other and do the words very coldly. And then they just sort of mishmashed them all for the final product, which I thought was fun. I'm wondering, I bet Tony in that scene was like, oh, please, I'm going to do it however I think. Like, And they all just followed her lead because... She was that good. Yeah, I read an interview where she said that uh, she she loves Charlie Kaufman because he doesn't. She said that something along the lines of like he's very collaborative. He's not too precious about his own vision, and that he was open to basically whatever would happen on the set. Apparently, there's this scene near the end of the dinner sequence where uh, Jesse Buckley takes everybody's plates herself and like puts them in the kitchen which apparently she came up with on set inspired by her character being established as a waitress closer to the end. Uh, And she asked the director, she was like, what if I just become a waitress in this moment? And he was like, yeah, get all of these plates off the table within the next three minutes, which was cool. I wonder if that set up a precedent of like everyone on set just pitching Charlie Kaufman their weird idea. Yeah, no, it sounds like that's what it was. Tony's like, I got an idea for this scene. I'm going to be dead. Like, I wonder if it ever got to a point where Charlie Kaufman had to, like, rein everyone around him in and, and was like, you you guys are you're taking advantage of my collaborative spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I give you an inch, you take a mile. No right. more. Yeah. No Tony, more. <laughs> Tony pitched Jesse Buckley's character not actually existing at the end. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Tony what if I just play the, the role? What if I just do all the lines? We just re-record. While I was reading the book, I really wanted Tony Collette to be playing uh, the lead actress circa like 1996 or whatever. Oh my gosh. Circa Muriel's wedding. I would have liked her more. I don't not like Jesse Buckley. I just didn't like the character, to be fair. I feel that's, like. That's just because she reminded you deep-rooted. of everyone we went to college with. She didn't know it really fully, I, especially even that thing about her suggesting to pick up all the food. I'm like, come on. I think that we might have been low-key emotionally abused at acting school because <laughs> we're we're so like upset by the idea that an actor would have had an a, a concept to pitch on the set. Because <laughs> if then you it tried went over well, because if you tried to do yeah, that at Marymount, <laughs> Ellen Orenstein would be like, "Who do you think you are?" Uh, do we have any other stray observations before we move on to awards? Uh, I thought she voiced. Uh, really interesting like relationship insecurity stuff that definitely struck fear into my own heart. Like, I think the first line is like, if the first line is I'm thinking of ending things once the thought sets in, it doesn't go away or something like that. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like hooked on minute one. I had a stray observation about the baby it's cold outside discourse that never ends. It was almost like, I'm like, oh, no one's ever talked about that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i laughed though it was funny that as was like soon, the only reference that i got in my- as that was as that was happening i wrote in my notes charlie kaufman can eat my ass oh you like the song or like eat your ass in a good way no i'm i'm just i'm just tired of that conversation i was like <laughs> cliche after i spent the entire movie being like this is too original i don't know what's going on when i was able to recognize something i got mad so, Jake, 
Your favorite Tony Collette vehicle that we've watched so far has been Unbelievable. Is I'm thinking of ending things better than Unbelievable? No. Um, also, we have to make a quick distinction that this is the final Tony Collette film. Yeah, oh. well, we're covering her band and next week. That has been released so far. We're covering her band, and then we're covering a Broadway show of hers. And then we're out of Tony material for the time being, so... But she was going to retire, but then she heard you guys were doing this podcast. She's like, I, oh, I, I must keep working. Yeah. <laughs> like my keep dream is to her that to... sweet, sweet content. Our goal is for her, <laughs> at least my goal is for her to somehow find out about the podcast, but I also don't want her to listen to it. No, I would be so upset of, if I... A lot of I... our projects have trashed. I'll have to <laughs> I, it, If Tony finds this podcast, I might delete it. And scrub every trace of it <laughs> off the internet forever. No, please. What, this is my only thing I'm doing with my life. What's been the worst Tony Collette project that has been covered? There was this movie that she did super early on in her career called The Paul Bearer. That's like, um, it's a rom-com starring David Schwimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow. And Back when they were doing the Friends cast movie stars. Yeah, I think yeah. that it was actually you like. You think that's uh, worse than eight and a half women, Sam? Yes, it was around like season one of Friends, <laughs> so it's like baby David Schwimmer, and David Schwimmer like pretends to have known this guy who he went to high school with, who just killed himself, so that he can be a pallbearer at his funeral. And Tony Collette is like his friend. Uh, classic hijinks. Yeah, it's like sociopathic, but not funny enough to make it we funny make a- that it's sociopathic. <laughs> We could make a Razzies for Tony movies. No. <laughs> I feel what like- if, And we could make a, an Oscars as well. We we began this project loving Tony Collette. And I still do love Tony Collette, but I do feel so bad about how many of her movies I've straight up hated. Well, I was going to say, do... like, if you're going to go through someone's entire body of work, like, you're probably going to find- Cause like I feel like you love someone before you've seen the um, what the was the one that you just bunkers. mentioned, the the David Paul. Schwimmer one, the Paul, Paul Bearer, yeah, the Paul Bearer I of, really of everyone's career. That, yeah, there's you got. I mean, you got to work your way up anyway to reach a certain level. And at the same time, there is something to be said for being the best part of any bad project movie. you're in. And she's done that more times than I could count. And also, like, she's never been bad. And I would say, like, as an actor, for most of my life, you know, it, there's some kind of, you know, if you know something you, you're in kind of sucks, like, you you try to be as best as you can so that you're the one thing people remember about it that's good. And I think she she kind of gets kick out of doing that. That's what it seems like. <laughs> she intentionally takes roles with bad projects so that she can outshine everyone. Mm-hmm. That's why... Feel- oh, go, Bo. Oh, no, you're fine. I'll wait. No, I wasn't going to say anything interesting. Oh, okay. Are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like we're almost kind of like in like a renaissance of the career of Toni Collette the last couple of years. Like hereditary kind of almost like put her on like a level Mm -hmm. she hasn't been on since like the Sixth Sense or something. I feel like. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, because it's like hereditary, Knives Out, that Netflix show, this. And you said she had like a movie with Guillermo del Toro and stuff coming out. Yes, yeah. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that she's back into like mainstream awards, something soon because she deserves it. She's overdue. She only has one Oscar nomination. It's for The Sixth Sense, and that was now 
like 22 years ago. It's crazy. Jesus. So here on the Tony Awards, we give three awards to each movie, the first of which is best prop. So, Bo, what was your best prop? I'm going to go the Burrs. Nice. What about you, Colin? Mine was similar, but it's the empty Burrs that are piled up in the dumpster when they walk into the school. What about you, Jake? Mine is the um, sound she made like four times in a row in the car because I was watching with subtitles and it just kept saying raspberry. <laughs> raspberry. <laughs> so um, the raspberry is my best prop. Uh, my best prop is the urn of Jesse's, Jesse Plummins's dog's ashes that Jesse Buckley sees when she goes into his room, like right after she's just been playing with the dog a couple different times. It's like, yeah, it was creepy. Whoa, what's real? I thought <laughs> the dog shaking. Fun. The dog shaking so fast. Yeah, I loved that dog. Uh, next award is best Tony moment. So, Colin, what was yours? Uh, the scene where she flashes back to being younger and she gives that monologue about having to bend over backwards for for Jake, and then. The main character is like, so what are you saying? And she's like, take the damn nightgown down to the basement. Live dangerously. <laughs> that That's was mine as well. Specific- I feel like it's a strong one. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jake? Um, mine is, it's from the dinner scene. And she, I just really resonated with you for some reason. Because she goes, Psst, Jake, you didn't tell us your girlfriend was so talented. And then she did this really like, little laugh where she goes, <laughs> <laughs> and like looks down. <laughs> she's, like, she's she's on all cylinders here. <laughs> what about you, Bo? Uh, I'm gonna go the scene where they get out of the car and she's standing in the window and she's waving for an insane amount of time. You're like, oh, this is, this is a fan. I don't know what that part is. Crazy. I was so nervous. And yeah, Jesse Buckley right. even goes like, she's been waving for a really long time. <laughs> like she, like the <laughs> character in the movie comments on it, which is wild. Yeah. Uh, next award is a custom award, which can go to anything and anyone. So Jake, what was yours? Um, mine was best cameo goes to Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling uh, when they just popped up out of nowhere to dance. That's it just it looked, literally looked like La La Land because she had like red hair. And I was just like, this is really, it was so bizarre. I thought it was going to be whatever. I, it went on for so long. I was like, okay, this is a different movie. Um, yeah. Uh, my custom award was the... Uh, weirdest moment to remember your bisexual award and that goes for me being very attracted to Jesse Buckley when she was reciting that poem out loud in the car even though it was a very gross poem what about you Colin um mine would have to be just like most left turns in a condensed period of time plot wise in a movie just that 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 ending sequence of dance Oklahoma cartoon pig like uh all of that just smushed into like 10 minutes was wild. And Bo? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna give the What a Waste Award to uh, Jesse Plemons and um, Jesse Buckley for wasting a lot of ice cream. That was a lot of ice cream they did not eat. And I was like, yeah, that did look good. (laughs) I was like, I'll eat it. Yeah. 
I, I, you know, I mean, all, all the ones in the trash can I could have eaten. They looked good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wanted ice cream. The rest of them yeah. looked empty. So we're presumably every other iteration of that mm-hmm. car ride that has happened in eternity, they actually finished those ice creams, except have, for this one. I'd have looked up the remains. <laughs> I don't care. You know where the old guy was probably going, the naked old guy following the pig? He was going to Heaven. King Payman's, King Payman's uh, treehouse of hell in Hereditary. <laughs> To worship. I wish. I wish that, Tony, that I wish that, that old guy got Tony fucking decapitated. <laughs> I wanted blood. I wanted he, blood. He comes Animated close in the pig, book from blood. what I remember. All right. I think he like stabs himself oh. in the neck. Anyway, that's a good uh <laughs> place to end. <laughs> I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Bye everyone. Oh, wait, wait, who has anything oh. to plug? Fuck, do you guys have anything to plug? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. No projects. Thank you, guys. See you later. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Hail Paymon.